interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic, then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back with the coolest guy in compliance, Matt Kelly, for another episode. Today, we're going to take a look at some information recently released by Navex Global reporting its finding on its latest hotline benchmarking report, which Matt attended a webinar on uh, last week. So, Matt, first of all, uh, welcome. And can we get a check in from the Kelly family? Yeah, sure. Hello, Tom. Um, everything is fine here in Boston. We're, uh, we have no particularly breaking news about the COVID crisis here in New England. Um, but we are having a tremendously windy early spring day with 70 mile an hour wind gusts and rain. Um, so who knows? If I suddenly go dark, that means the power went out in Boston. But, uh, otherwise things are rocking and rolling as usual here. So Matt, um, you had uh, you wrote a blog post on your uh, attending attendance of the webinar report hotline cases taking more time. Uh, that would seem to indicate from your uh, very descriptive title, uh, something's going on with hotline reports. Uh, what do you glean from uh, the Navex data this year? Yeah, so uh, there's a couple of things going on with this, and so the actual benchmarking report, if people are looking for it online has not come out yet. It will be available sometime soon. I, th- I think the week of probably April 20th. Don't hold me to that. Uh, but Navex did hold a webinar last week to present the findings, and I eavesdropped on that. Um, the, the most telling thing was case closure times that are taking longer to close up for whatever reason, and we can discuss that. But here are some of the numbers. The median case closure time jumped from 40 days in 2018 to 45 days in 2019. And that was the highest median jump or highest median number, 45 days, in five years. It had been trending somewhat downward. Now we're back up to where we were in the middle of the 2010s. The average case closure time jumped from 60 to 66 days and 20% of companies said they needed more than 100 days to close cases, and that is up from 17% who said that last year. And if you're looking for some comparison purposes here, um, 20% saying they need at least 100 days to close a case, 32% were saying that they closed their cases in less than a month. So we've got a large number who are closing cases pretty quickly. We've got a slightly less large number who are taking more than three months to close cases, which strikes me as not good. And we can get into that. But uh, that's what some of the issues are around case closure times. And that was the big headline from this whole report was case closure. Uh, so, Matt, can I maybe uh, talk about one other point before we get to the why part? And yeah. that's the category medians. Sure. Uh, 
chart that you have on your um, blog post. And I was intrigued that um, the dip and then rise in big business integrity uh, reported cases through the hotline, perhaps as opposed to uh, things that may have come out uh, because of specifically Me Too. Um, it, it was interesting. So w- there were three or four different findings here. And so I'll try and take each one. The Me Too cases, uh, for the first time with this year's report, uh, Navex Global now has two full years of after the Me Too movement, which started at the end of 2017. So we had a full year of 2018, a full year of 2019. And actually, the number of Me Too allegations that were coming in, they dropped as a percentage of the total. Uh, they went from 5.46% last year to only 4.81% this year. And that is very close to the historical norm for Me Too, uh, sexual harassment, workplace bullying sorts of complaints. They've always hovered in the high four, not quite 5% of the total, spiked uh, in 20, I guess, 18 right after the Me Too movement, and now they're trending back downward. So r- around Me Too, we, we don't really know why exactly it is falling back down. It could have been that there was a surge in interest in 2018 when Me Too was very much in everybody's minds, and there was a big spike in complaints, and maybe it is reverting to historical norms. Uh, maybe it's also possible that would-be reporters now are – not as enthused about speaking up as they were in 2018, because maybe they've seen that there's not enough action happening. Um, maybe they've seen retaliation. Maybe they are being cowed back into uh, silence, which they should not be. But nonetheless, that might be happening. So we don't quite know exactly why Me Too complaints are trending downward, but they are sort of reverting to the historical norm. Um, and you might want to think about that if um, you've got a large female demographic in your workforce if you want to make me too um issues a priority which companies should but there's something going on there that might be worth analyzing at your own business to try and figure out what is what's the correct answer for your own business but collectively that's what's happening with me too um I have to admit, off the top of my head, I don't recall exactly what the number of accounting or business integrity complaints were, but I did see for median complaints, and Navex doesn't really list like average number of complaints per employee or per workforce. The the number that they use, the metric, is median number of reports per 100 employees. that held steady last year at 1.4. That was the median. Um, on the other hand, you could see that 20% or so of companies, they're receiving a median of five reports per 100 employees, and 40% are receiving less than one report per 100 employees. So you've got a whole lot of companies that are not really seeing many reports and you've got a slightly less large group, but still significant, who are receiving a bunch of reports at either end. And then it kind of there's a trough in the middle there. Um, the other thing that I saw that jumped out to me that I did think was interesting is the median number of reports per 100 employees that arrived by online channels rather than the telephone. That number doubled from 1.0 to 2.0 last year. 
Um, so partly I think that's because, hey, nobody likes to actually use the phone anymore. I certainly don't. Um, but it does make me wonder about the future of online anonymous reporting, since there are all sorts of firms out there that are talking up the idea of apps that are sort of like a private anonymous whistleblowing service that an employee could use. Uh, I know some where um, a company will use that service and offer it to employees. I know some where the company, the startup tech, offers it to anybody, anywhere. And you can basically gather all the evidence of your complaint, store it, and then submit it anonymously and then the startup would send it off to the company in question. There's all sorts of ways that anonymous reporting is trying to be, I guess, democratized. And there are some big players involved in this. There are startups involved in it. Um, but it's all predicated on the idea that we will be using online methods to report complaints rather than the telephone. And Navex shows that that's happening. So I'm very curious to see how that's all going to play out over the next five years or so, how we'll see an evolution in online reporting and who's controlling the data before the report gets filed. I think that's uh, that's something to watch. Matt, can we uh, go back to the question we put on the table of why the lengthening amount of time uh, for case closure? Oh, yeah. So that, that is, thank you for bringing it up. That was another point that I had. Um, for the first time ever, in this report, Navex was looking at the median lag time between when an employee witnessed an incident and then when he or she actually reported it. So here's the good news is that 19% of companies had a median of less than five days. So employees were generally seeing misconduct and reporting it promptly. Awesome. That's exactly what compliance officers want. On the other hand, uh, 20% of companies also said that they had reports coming in more than 60 days after employees first witnessed that incident. Um, that is not good. So long lag times could be suggestive of retaliation fears, a lack of awareness among employees that they don't actually know that they could or should or how to report, um, or that in certain locations, maybe there isn't a reporting system and the employee knows about something, but he can't report it until he or she gets somewhere else and then gets to the reporting system and then can file a complaint. But like two months is a long time. Um, that makes your investigations more complicated. And so that is another point of data that compliance officers might want to think about at your specific company. What is the lag time that you understand you have from when an employee sees misconduct to when he or she reports it? And if it is as long as 60 days or longer, like think about why that is and how to shorten it, because that is not a healthy state of affairs for a speak-up culture. In terms of the um, this lengthening out, uh, I, I guess there's probably no way to determine from this data um, whether or not this has been caused by a reduction in either assets, time, or money available for internal investigations or really anything about that part of the process? You know, that's a good point. Um, there isn't anything from what Navex presented or that I've heard to suggest either way on that idea that maybe there are budget restraints. Uh, it is worth noting that all of this happened in 2019 when we were in flush economic 
times and now in 2020, thanks to COVID-19, we are not in flush economic times. So I could see budget constraints coming home to roost at a lot of organizations and compliance departments, internal audit departments, risk departments. They're going to be prime candidates to see if maybe somebody could trim the budget a bit. And when you do, stuff like this happens that, you know, it takes longer to get things done. Um, And then, Tom, if I remember your original question about business integrity cases way back about five minutes ago, um, it is also true that business integrity cases do take longer to investigate and resolve. So that is something that, you know, are we seeing more business integrity cases come up? And so you are spending more time on cases that take more time. I do believe business integrity uh, cases ticked up last year. Let me just double check. What does my data chart say there? Um, They did go up. Yeah, they went up 5% from 16% of the whole to 21% of the whole. Um, Accounting and auditing, financial reporting allegations, they went from 2% of all complaints to 3% of all complaints. So maybe it is that we are getting more complicated issues that are going to take longer to resolve. And so that's why case closure is taking longer. And maybe that's also, I don't know, going to be reflective of all sorts of other problems. Um, I worry about how effective compliance and investigation and risk management is going to be in a time like we're probably facing in 2020, where A, the economy stinks and people are worried about their jobs. They're going to be tempted to cut corners more often. And B, the economy stinks. Budgets are down. Revenue is down. You're probably going to have less resources to handle all of the more pressures and more temptations that will be out there among your employees and workforce to commit misconduct. So we got two punches at coming at us at the same time, thanks to COVID-19, and I'm not sure they're going to fade away anytime soon. Any way to think about this data in terms of uh, the now sort of self-quarantine or self-isolation and working from home, or is that probably something we're going to have to wait to get some more data on to consider? I will be curious about that. We'll we'll need to wait for more data on this. But I do think, for example, that if you have a large portion of your workforce working from home, um, how will typical types of misconduct or misbehavior, how will that happen in the office? How will they manifest online? So workplace bullying or sexual harassment. Well, you know, People do online bullying and online harassment, and so will we see those same sort of issues exist differently in a work-from-home environment? I mean, probably, but to what extent will they exist? I don't know. And also, if you are harassing somebody online, by definition, that leaves you with an audit trail that the victim could neatly collect and hand off to HR or compliance. Um, So I don't know what that means. Um, likewise, uh, if you are engaging in fraud, it's very easy to hide your tracks with uh, instant messaging and other sort of private communications, especially if you are out of other people's line of vision or you're not in the office. It can be more easy, I think, to probably commit fraud or plan frauds. And how is compliance going to investigate that if you're also working from home and you can't march into somebody's office and eyeball them in an interview? Um so how is that all going to shake out? We have no idea, but I think it's you, Tom, you raise a good point that 
we do need to think about how is the nature of misconduct going to change in a largely online world for, I don't know, six months, 12 months, 18 months, but that's where we are. And I've been thinking about simply just uh, ephemeral messaging and do companies have a larger problem now or a lesser problem because of technology and how is the Department of Justice going to view all of these online communications uh, that we're all engaging in right now? You know, I I don't think even the Justice Department necessarily knows that, but uh, it is a very good question that we have just begun to understand these are questions that COVID is forcing us to consider. I don't know anybody who actually has a good, thoughtful answer to any of these questions yet. And if somebody listening out there does, let me and Tom know, man. We'll have you on as a guest because I think these are very excellent issues for us to consider. Maybe at this point, the best thing we can do is just keep raising them, Matt. That, that's what I'm here for. Well, Matt, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I look forward to seeing what next week brings us. All right. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I have two new podcasts that I hope you will check out. The first is Compliance and Coronavirus. Clarity and Sanity for the Compliance Practitioner. The second is The Compliance Life, where I take a look at what it's like to sit in the chair of a Chief Compliance Officer. They are both on the Compliance Podcast Network and available on iTunes. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we tape up another topic of compliance literally into the weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to visiting with you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.